Hello there, I'm Patrick Strofe. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the top experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners and founders. This week, I'm very pleased to have Stephen Hohenrieder with me. Steve is the Chief Executive and Chief Investment Officer for a single-family office here in Northern California. Steve has also been investing private equity up and down the value chain of our food system for the past 10 years. Stephen, welcome to our podcast. Now, when we talk about food and M&A, there's the contemporary uneducated view of food and M&A where you have somebody that develops a particular product. I mean, for example, maybe they create a, a line of uh, gluten-free snacks for kids, and they get you know going, they set it up locally, and they try to get some traction regionally with the long-term goal of eventually getting bought by one of the big national brands, and then they go worldwide. And when you and I spoke about food, you proved to me how limited and finite that view is because there's a much broader, almost universal uh, view of food that you've developed an expertise in, and it's this concept of a food system. So why don't you describe this concept of not just food, but a food system, and what led you to this focus? Well, the gist of it uh, stems from a belief that uh, the consumer is going through a unconscious but very structural shift in their relationship with food that values attributes in their food that look more like those uh, that they valued before the industrialization of our food system than after. So it's not necessarily about local or organic, but it's about connection and authenticity and transparency and traceability. And if you think about the period before the industrialization of our food system, people had a connection to the source of their food. It was either uh, the producer, the farmer, the uh, person or the company adding value to it, and I would think of that as a brand, or uh, their grocer who they relied on to vet their food for them. And they were so enamored uh, after World War II with packaging and consistency and price and convenience and being marketed to in ways they had never seen that they gave up this deep ownership of their relationship with food and handed it to companies that told them what they should buy based on who they wanted to be. And I happen to believe and have been investing um, and working with companies from a perspective that the consumer is reconnecting with the source of their food. And they may not be able to articulate it, um, but, uh, but they are driving a big change. And I believe that very diverse stakeholders are all driving our food system in the same direction without thinking about it from a systems perspective. And that includes uh, big ag, uh, small farmers, big food companies, which are beginning to acquire small companies and creating opportunities for entrepreneurs. But it also extends through healthcare and um, academics, public policy, and uh, and capital. Well, with, with this, it's, it's definitely a situation where food is literally touching everything. And because we use food to live every day on a, multiple times a day. People have this pre-encoded belief that they, they understand food, they know food. Um, and, and so we become you know, less aware of, of, of all these new uh, nuances in, in the, uh, I guess, the ecosystem of food. Um, why do you think it's important for investors largely, but then also owners and founders of businesses to recognize food as a system rather than as that finite, finite 
unit product that they're looking at? Sure. Well, if we were to look at the wine industry as a proxy for how I believe our food system is refragmenting, um, and what it took for us to go from a few hundred to 10,000 wine brands, um, we had to build infrastructure to support the small and mid-sized producer. But along the way, we crossed a tipping point where we went from the small guys trying to look like the big guys to the big guys trying to look like the small guys. And it created a cycle of acquisition. Um, and the big guys had to start buying the small guys to stay relevant with the consumer. And the acquirers that I believe get it realize that they're buying a core set of authentic values and brand that's established by that small company. And it's not just by, it's not just the acquisition of a product extension. So the opportunity for investors as we go through this transition is the opportunity to deploy capital in a lot of different areas of our food system if they want to. But as it specifically relates to food companies, if you're building a, um, a high integrity, uh, authentic brand uh, and product, you've got a lot of different sources of capital. And going back to your initial, um, one of your earlier points, oftentimes people, just like they think about the food system in conventional ways, tend to think about capital in very conventional ways. But what we're finding is the most successful outcomes in the companies we're working with are those where the company is very well aligned with the source of its capital. So if you think about venture capital, for, for example, there's a finite life to the, the fund. So that venture firm needs to get the capital invested, generate a return, and then uh, distribute that capital back to their investors. Um, that's great for a food company that wants to ramp quickly and possibly sell at the end. Um, similarly, uh, companies are getting to a certain size and are having to choose between private equity or selling to a strategic. And selling to a strategic sets you on a specific path as well. Uh, that's one where most of the time we see the strategic needing to ramp production and, um, and produce more of the product for, for less. And it ultimately uh, tends to change the product over time. And the founders, uh, you know, will eventually lose control of the company. Um, there's another, um, there are other sources of capital like family office capital that tends to be longer term, tends to be permanent, and tends to be very patient. It's not always the right solution either. But what we found is it's a very different situation if you have a entrepreneur or a CEO of a food company who wants to ramp and sell versus somebody who would like to build their business into perpetuity but just needs a, needs a capital partner. And so the opportunity for investors is to figure out um, where there's an opportunity for them to deploy capital into assets that are aligned with the profile of their capital. So it's not as, it's almost to be real simplistic, you either have long-term players or short-term players on either side of the ledger. Um, how do you, you know, in, in your capacity as an investor or as an advisor to owners and founders that are looking for, you know, one of these avenues of capital, what do you do and how can you work to get that big challenge of that alignment 
of interest? Is it simply just finding out what their goals are and then matching them up, or you know, how do you do that? Well, so we might be a little bit different um, as a principal investor who is looking to rebuild a regenerative food system, uh, which by that I mean really making sure that small to mid-sized companies have the opportunity to vertically integrate either through infrastructure they own or can get access to as a service. Um, but I, I think that it's just important for you to identify what you want to invest in. Um, it, you know, the, the there's, there's so many opportunities out there, and oftentimes I find that, especially in food and agriculture, um, everybody can relate to it. And so very often you have people um, foregoing what might be some of their normal due diligence criteria um, to pursue an opportunity that on the surface looks, looks very exciting for one reason or another. Um, so I guess, I guess, you know, if it's not stating the obvious, um, it's important to stick to your knitting and make sure you understand what it is you're pursuing. That's, a, that's, that's interesting you say. I, I just pictured that when, when you think about being an investor where um, different from technology, it's easier with food because people have just by our DNA, we have an emotional bond with our food. Uh, and, and or wine or beer. And I could see something where passions and emotions and excitement will over, overturn uh, your more prudent instincts because, you know, there, if you're in technology or if you're in entertainment or manufacturing, you could fall in love with a particular process or a particular target out there. But I, it's easy to see that that's, unmatched compared to somebody who falls in love with uh, food that maybe reminds them of their childhood. So you have to, you have to do a lot yeah. of balancing and uh, tempering uh, emotions, I would, I would think. You do. And it's interesting. So the family uh, that I work for and, and those people whom I've invested uh, private capital for during my career tend to be very values-driven, uh, or some people call it impact-oriented. And so oftentimes, in addition to supporting a company that is aligned with their values, that either is driving better land management practices, um, maybe uh, producing healthier food or doing something socially, um, these people oftentimes get distracted by the outcomes they're trying to support. And it doesn't mean that there is a concession financially, but sometimes I think that those other return elements can distract them from the core business. And um, sometimes they don't tend to, um, to do the due diligence that you normally would investing in an asset and the people who you expect to execute on the strategy. Just out of curiosity, what areas of due diligence do you really focus on with, with food as opposed to other things? I mean, obviously, you've got the financials and and, and there may be some intellectual property with regard to recipes or ingredients, but are there other things out there that, that you look for in due diligence that may get easily overlooked? Sure. Well, so I'm, I'm very focused on uh, supporting companies with uh, super high integrity supply chain, um, mm -hmm. which I think is relevant to the consumer, but I also just think it's good for, uh, good for their business. Um, so as you think about that, um, 
you understanding that supply chain is really important. So it's one thing to say that you'd like to start an organic food company, for example, or it doesn't even have to be organic. It's another to understand um, the supply chain all the way back to um, back to the land. And I believe that the consumer increasingly wants to connect to a story um, that is tied all the way back to the producer of the agricultural output. And so oftentimes I see people launch businesses without thinking about the interdependencies of each step of that supply chain or uh, issues of scale. We see people launch really great businesses, get to four or five million dollars of revenue, and I'm, I'm making up that number, and realize that their supply chain isn't going to support them to $20 million or $100 million. And so as investors, it's important for us to understand how the company will ramp, just as you would in other industries. The only difference is uh, there are supply constraints in agriculture because you're dependent on weather and planting season and, in the case of organic, um, just enough supply. There's only there's only so much farmland. Although we can we're we're expanding it, I think we're getting, making it more efficient. But there there is only so much earth on which we can use to you have a particular type of soil for a particular type of plant, I guess. Yes, and the lead times are fairly long as well. Often, mm. um, so you know if you need more output, especially with protein, uh, you know you're planning pretty far in advance to ramp up that uh, that supply. Oh, that's that's another consideration I uh, hadn't thought about. Let's go back to an earlier point that you made. I think we we glossed over it a bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper in it. Where you were talking about an emerging trend that we all, once you talk about it, they see it, but it's been kind of hiding in plain sight for us. And that's this trend from industrialization into refragmentation. And you you talked about the one. Talk about that with with food. Is it just simply going from you know, store-bought stuff to organic, you know, bringing in organic uh, options to the list. Tell me about this refragmentation. Um, yeah, sure. So I don't think that this um, this change displaces the large food companies. But I think the the market increasingly becomes defined by the smaller companies. And it's not necessarily about organic but I believe it's about some of the things I mentioned earlier, traceability and authenticity and transparency. And so um, we have this opportunity where the consumer is looking for, you know, if you think about how we uh, experience food as people, it's not just about nutrition, right? There's an element of discovery and um, exploration and sharing and introducing it to, to others. And so maybe I could use a, an example of coffee. And I think it's been easier for the higher margin categories of food, <clears throat> excuse me, to refragment more quickly. But using coffee as an example, for decades people were happy drinking Folgers crystals at 25 or 50 cents <laughs> a cup. Guilty. <laughs> and, yes. And at a point, Starbucks, uh, came along and others, and people realized that they could have their coffee made 10 different ways. And that there was, it was experiential in buying it. And there was an interpersonal element to, to that experience. 
and they realized they started to realize over time that they liked the dark roast versus the light roast or eventually maybe they liked Pete's better than Starbucks and then they realized they liked a pour over better than drip and then they liked mint in their coffee at Phil's instead of the blue bottle pour over and the consumer unintentionally fragmented this category in a way that caused them to spend a lot more for the product, but also delivered a lot more value to them than just a cup of coffee. And so we saw that in some of these higher margin products first, and now we're seeing it all the way down to uh, fresh produce and protein. And when our food system became anonymous, um, the consumer, if you think about it, they, the consumer went from knowing the source of their food to agricultural output being dumped into a blind pool uh, commodity market. And at that point, there was no transparency back to the, to the land and how it was produced. And so the consumer had to rely on third parties to say it was okay to eat their food, if you think of certified organic or, or such. Prior to that, it often, you know, food was produced organically, it just didn't need a name. Well, Today, I believe that as the consumer reconnects with the source of their food, they're increasingly relying on brands as their good housekeeping seal of approval. And so if you believe in this thesis, there is a really neat opportunity to um, create food products that are compelling to the consumer and, in my opinion, are simple in terms of ingredients and um, can also be an uh, attractive acquisition target of the large companies that if this thesis for refragmentation um, as it relates to the wine industry plays out more broadly in food, which it has been, suggests that these large companies will always have to keep acquiring small companies because it's the only way they can stay relevant with the consumer or stay fresh with the consumer. Well, we see it's not definitely not limited to wine. We're seeing that in the beer industry, and it is amazing how, uh, yeah, the people will will pay higher for higher value. They recognize it and so forth. So it, it's just as as those opportunities grow, uh, as awareness grows, I think it it it's definitely not going to uh, go away anytime soon. So with all this in mind. What advice would you, as an investor, what would you give to owners and founders within areas of this food system? We had talked about alignment and goals and so forth earlier, but what advice can you give to our audience out there that may be looking uh, to seek capital or, or look for something uh, that are coming from the food system? Well, I guess it ties a little bit into what I was saying earlier. Before you go out to risk capital, to really think about what your goals and objectives are for the company. If this is a family business that you've built and you're getting critical mass and you just need additional capital, but you would like to continue building the company yourself uh, into perpetuity, um, I would, you know, you're going to want to take one type of capital. If you, and that capital can bring other resources as well. If you, have launched an idea as an entrepreneur and your goal is to grow it as quickly as you can and sell it and you want as much horsepower behind that effort as possible, um, another type of capital um, makes a lot of sense. And so it really does come back to alignment. And 
but the only way you're going to know if the capital you're taking is right is if you have decided what your goals are before you go out to seek it. And I found so many companies just know they need capital and they've let the market define it. And most of the time, the sources of capital aren't going to be able to define your goals for you. They are going to, you know, try and meld what you do into fitting their goals. So making sure that you understand what you want and you find capital that is aligned with those goals is really important. Steve, you're representing a variety of investors in the food system. What are you looking for now? So I'm looking for high-integrity uh, food companies where there is integrity from the product all the way back through the supply chain to the land. And it doesn't have to exist today, but often what I'm finding is there are companies who would like to build high-integrity supply chains or would like to deepen the integrity and the authenticity of, of their product. And... I'm excited about working with those companies. And obviously they've got to have a market and they've got to have a compelling product. But I see a lot of companies out there that are trying to take advantage of what's going on in the market that don't have that authenticity. And uh, it's probably what, um, you know, a, a, an additional test um, that is important. I also look for opportunities where I can bring my experience in agriculture. Um, and uh, some of the what we've learned um, investing along in infrastructure and processing and uh, other supply chain. You have an example of that? Something you, um, you guys did to assist with an infrastructure issue? Uh, sure, sure. So uh, one of the earlier deals that uh, that I did was an acquisition with others of uh, something called the Hana Ranch on the island of Maui. We bought that. We bought two water utilities that delivered water to that side of the island. And we bought a controlling interest in something called the Maui Cattle Company, which was a um, meat packing and distribution co-op. And the idea was to build a vertically integrated, diversified model for farming and ranching where we, in, an, in a state, that imports 85% of the food that's consumed and 90% of the 90% ener of the energy could um, build a supply chain or build a, a supply of food that was not only fresh but also included value-added products, uh, a restaurant, and, and other things. Uh, later on, we in another um, company we we merged two companies together, um, and, and that included uh, seed mills and storage uh, for grain. Um, so it, the theme along a lot of these, to, you know, of these deals I'm describing now, was to decouple the output of agricultural operations, uh, help vertically integrate and add value to that, so that we were able to capture more retail margin, build brand, and um, and provide a good product to the market. That's so a great example on how there are all these various elements that clearly you just need a lot of experience and there's no shortcut on experience just to marshal all these different forces together and see how you can get them all pointed in the right direction. So 
that's a that's a great uh, set of examples. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, for our listeners who are in the industry and they may have some questions for you, how can people reach you? Probably best to reach me by my uh, personal email, which is s h o h e n r i e d e r at gmail.com. So it's my first initial last name at gmail.com. Right. We'll definitely have that in the in the notes to the podcast as well as if as uh, people access it, so they can get all of you. Stephen, what a great uh, expansive opening of uh, a, an area that we thought was something we see every day and use multiple times a day, and we thought of that universe as X, and you just blew it wide open. So thanks very much for sharing with us your perspective today. Thank you for having me, Patrick.